Here at Luke chapter 1, would you say amen? amen? There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. I'm going to say that wrong. I say it wrong every time. I say it different every time. Uh, I don't know why. So forgive me for that. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. If you're watching online right now, I want to welcome you to Triumph Church Beaumont this morning. I hope that you're having a wonderful time. I want to ask you to get still and quiet, get ready to receive from God today. There are people all over this nation joined in with us today. I believe that there is a word hidden uh, in, in this scripture that's going to touch your life today. And I, and I want to declare it over you. So get ready to receive today. Why don't we pray? Father, I thank you for your presence. Touch us. Shift us, mold us, change us, rearrange us, encourage us, do with us what you will today. For those that are, that are down and, and broken hearted, Father, I pray that you would heal us today, that you would lift us up, that you would turn situations around, open our hearts and our minds to hear from you, to be challenged by the power of your word. I thank you for it right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Christmas is a wonderful time of the year. I hope that you enjoy it as I do, because I believe that it should be a time of joy and of happiness, of presence, of, of, of great food, uh, hearing the laughter of children and the singing of the carols. It should be a wonderful, wonderful time. It's a time for gathering with the people that you love. For, for my family, though, this is quite a complicated feat. You see, we don't just have one party and everybody comes to it, but we have to have a party for every different branch of our family tree that has a lot of branches. So we have one party, and, and it is very important to Lindsay and I that we wake up in our home on Christmas morning and just our kids open their presents from us because you can't pile them in with the grandparents because you can't compete with grandparents. So you have to get all them out and just, just focus on this awesome gift right here. You're going to love it. So we have our, our family pr uh, Christmas party. Then we have a Christmas party with, with my parents and, and, my, and my sisters and my brother-in-law and all their, our, my nieces and nephews and the whole crew. And we, we come together and it's a wonderful time that we have. And we, we, so we have to schedule that. Then we have um, Christmas with my grandmother, my Aunt Faith, my Uncle Mark, and uh, my Aunt Joy and, and all these. And we all gather together and we have a wonderful Christmas time. But then we also have to have Christmas with my grandmother and grandfather, uh, usually on Christmas Eve. The problem is Christmas Eve is also my grandfather's birthday. I think he turns 87 this year. And, and this is a problem because 80, every year on Christmas Eve we have to stop and have a birthday party for him. And it happens every year. He, he, he tends to have a birthday every single year. I don't know what the deal is with that. But, uh, but so, so, and on big years, you don't just get to combine the Christmas party and his birthday. You have to have them separate, you see, because it's, it's his birthday and we don't want to skip over it. So, you know, you have all these, so you've got to coordinate with all these people. And, and then we coordinate with Lindsay's family. Coordinating with Lindsay's family is sometimes complicated because her niece uh, lives in North Carolina and her brother Joel lives in Dallas. So we're trying to go to Waxahachie, but we also got to get Ashton down here. And you don't want to have Christmas without all the kids. That's just no fun, right? So you have to coordinate all these things 
things together. Then we coordinate around uh, Ryan and Kara's family. And, and Ryan has family with all of his mom's, uh, Christmas with all of his mom's side of the family. And they take up like a whole weekend. And uh, they do it right, man. I'm telling you, they, do, they just take the whole weekend. We're going to have Christmas for a weekend. Lay around in our pajamas and eat and open presents for like a weekend. So, so they have them. And then they have just Ryan's mom. They have pres- uh, Christmas with her. Then they have Christmas just with Ryan's dad and his family. And I'm telling you what, it gets complicated. <sighs> you got to have like a degree in, to, to work all the calendar out to get this stuff. Then it gets even worse uh, because you start giving out the details of all these Christmas parties. And giving out the details of these Christmas parties is a little bit like playing that old telephone game. You know where you lined up all your friends and somebody would make a statement and you would whisper it all the way around. And by the time it got back around, nothing was the same. You know, you said, hey, the stoplight is green. You can go. But it came back and you were talking about the mountains in Oregon or something. You're like, what are you talking about? And so, you know, we, you, 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 we get it all confused. You know, is the, is the Marshall Party this year, are we, are we drawing names and giving each other a specific name? Or are we going to have a white elephant Christmas party and do the little gift exchange game where you steal from each other, you know, and, and all that stuff. And, you steal, and my, playing that game with my grandfather is quite complicated because he gets what he wants and leaves and he ain't giving it up. And... And so you got all, and it gets confusing. So you show up and you're ready for the gift game. And no, you were supposed to bring a gift for Uncle Maz. And you were supposed to bring a gift for Keisha. And you just, you didn't do it right. So now you're like, oh, well, do you want a hammer? Like that's, that'll work, right? Uh, and so, so you go through all this stuff and it's all confusing. Then it's like, what are you going to eat? So one Christmas party is, is it, we eat Mexican food. And that's my favorite in case you don't know. I love Mexican food. Three day, three times a day is fine with me. Uh, so, so Mexican food here. And, and then over here, we're going to eat breakfast for dinner. And over here, we're going to have like turkey and ham and, and all that good stuff. And you get them all confused. So when in doubt, I show up with Mexican food because as I said, it's my favorite, but it gets all confused. Does, does anybody can you anybody feel my pain? Is, your, is, is coordinating with your family the same way? Confusing. Got to have, like, I don't know what we did before Facebook and emails, telephones and text messages, because I don't know how we kept up with all of it. Why do we go through all of it? And at some point, you just sit here and you say, are the holidays worth all this? Like seriously, when they invented Christmas, were they envisioning me running from house to house and going and filling up my car with stuff and then unfilling with stuff and racing home to cook the meal for the next party so that you can go and enjoy the next party while you chase your kids around? I mean, seriously, why do we do it all? I don't know if you've ever stopped and wondered what it was all about and why it all matters and why we, we push through and we sit down and we talk to people that maybe sometimes we don't want to talk to and, and, and uh, you know, you, 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 you spend time catching up on the Why is all the mess worth it? Because at the end of the day, it matters who is gathered around the tree with you. And it matters who is sitting around the table with you. It makes a difference. It matters. Because each person at your table tells a story. Each person has a different part of your life and a part of your story. Each person has a different history that adds to who you are. Each person has a different lineage that tells a piece of your own story. It all fits together to tell a story. Some stories are good. Some are not. But all together, they tell a story. They paint a picture. You go to some homes and their trees are piled high with presents, while others only have one or two. 
Some tables are covered in food and, and desserts that are homemade, made from scratch. Others called lubies and got the little family meal deal. And we're glad that, they, that you did after having tasted your cooking. Still others were only able to cook what was given to them by the generosity of someone else. It all matters because it paints a picture, it tells a story. So my question for you today is who is coming to your house for Christmas? What does your story look like? Because if we're not careful, we can get so caught up in the hustle and and the bustle and, and forget the true story of Christmas. You see, at the first Christmas, there was no Santa Claus There was no reindeer. And get this, there wasn't even a Christmas tree. In fact, many Christians won't have anything to do with with Christmas trees, even though it says Christ in the name of it, because the Christmas tree actually came from a pagan worship, uh, pagan religion. So they won't have anything to do with it. So what is Christmas all about? In fact, the first Christmas wasn't even a time of peace and goodwill. But it was a time when there was a terrible king who was killing babies. And and it was a time when a baby was born in a manger because there was no room for him. It wasn't a good season that he was born into. Now, I want your Christmas to be a Christmas filled with peace and with joy and with happiness and with love and with goodwill and all of those things. But we also can't forget the real story of Christmas. It's the story of a Savior. It's the story of a God who loves us more than we can even grasp. Is Christ in your Christmas story? I want to begin a series today simply entitled The Story of Christmas. I want to take a look over the next few weeks at who came to the first Christmas. Uh, Who was a part of the story? Can we find any inspiration from the events that took place 2,000 years ago? Asking the question, why did it happen 2,000 years ago? Why not 3,000 years ago? Why not last week? Why did Jesus come when he did and to the people that he did? Why not sooner? Why not later? Let's take a look at the story. But today, we begin with two often overlooked but incredibly important people in the story of Christmas. Two people, a priest and his wife named Zacharias and Elizabeth. You see, Zacharias and Elizabeth had experienced the highs and lows that Jewish life could offer. Verse 5 begins by mentioning Herod, who was an evil king, uh, the king of of Judea there, and, and we'll talk more about him in the weeks to come. Uh, He is a central figure in the story of Christmas, but today is about this priest. That may seem insignificant to the casual reader. However, they are critically important because Jesus couldn't come unless they first came. Jesus couldn't happen unless, uh, unless Zacharias and Elizabeth had happened. If you have ever felt insignificant... Maybe you felt like your life didn't matter. You have people who love you, a job, a home, but what does it all add up to? It's as if you were just existing. If you've ever felt that way, there's hope for you in the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth. That came from a great lineage, you see. Zacharias was a priest. Elizabeth actually could trace her roots all the way back to Aaron, who was the first high priest. These people did everything they could to live right and to be right and to make their family proud. I know that family lineage isn't as important to Americans as it was to the Hebrews, but it was an incredibly important thing to to the people that, that are written about in the Bible. 
That's why there are entire books of the Bible written to tracking the genealogy of the people of God. Because it mattered to them. We can learn a lot from our ancestry. You see, my father thought he was the first one in, our, in his side of the family to be in the ministry, to be a preacher. But in, as he went through a process of discovering about our past and about our family tree, found out that we have a, a great-grandfather or whatever who was a circuit-riding preacher back in, in the 1800s, the 1700s, and the 1800s. So, uh, you know, what dad, what was inside dad actually came from the lineage of people way further back. And they were trying to make their family proud. Uh, the, the, verse 6 says that they were righteous before God. Not just one of them, but both of them were righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and all of the ordinances, blameless. That means you couldn't find anything wrong with them. They were those people that did everything right. You know those people that you hate. You know, the the goody-goodies that always make the right decision and always say the right thing and always do the right thing and they never seem to be fighting and their marriage is always perfect and and their house is always clean and their car is always clean and they're always on time. They just never seem to have any problems. Do you know anybody like that? Don't curse them under your breath. It's not nice. They were blameless, but yet they were missing something. They seemed to have it all, and yet they were missing something. You see, verse 7 tells us that they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. The problem was now they're well advanced in years. Well advanced in years is a nice way of saying they were old. They're old. They're not having any more kids. They've tried, and it hasn't worked. Because she was barren. The barrenness challenge is one that we often see in the work of God. You'll, you'll remember how Abraham and Sarah, it was, it was spoken over them that they would be a father of, of, of a huge nation. And yet Sarah was old and barren and couldn't have any children. And yet God made a great nation out of them. In fact, we are reading about Zacharias and Elizabeth because God took a barren old woman and gave her a son named Isaac from which came the children of Israel. This is proof that we can't stop believing in the promises of God. Even when things don't look right and feel right. Even even when we have said, uh, have you ever said this to God? I'm going to believe God for one year and if he doesn't do it in one year, I'm done believing. You can't do that with God because God is not bound by time. Even though it seems like it should be, we should be out of time, God is not bound by time. He can move time forward or backwards, whatever He wants to do. He can, do, he can make an old woman have a baby. He did it on multiple times. If He could do that, whatever's going on in your life that you've been praying and believing for, He can do that for you. So we don't put parameters on God. What are you going to do when the time runs out? Are you going to quit believing now? No. So we just, I'm going to believe until. I'm not going to put limits on God. I'm going to believe until my promise walks through the door. I'm going to believe until my miracle is born. I'm going to believe until my son is saved. I'm going to believe until my family is restored. I'm going to believe until I'm out of debt. I'm going to believe until I get the job that he promised me. I'm going to believe until. Until when? Until God comes through. What if it takes forever? So be it. I'm going to keep believing. I find comfort in this. 
in the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth because they were righteous people doing everything that they knew to do things correctly and in right standing with God, but they were old and still barren and had still not received what they had been praying for. So if you've been doing everything right, you've been praying, you've been believing, you've been tithing, you've been serving, you've been fasting, you've been worshiping, and yet you still haven't received your answer to prayer, welcome to the club. You're not alone. There are others of us out here, starting with me. Things I've been praying for and believing for. That that Pastor Lindsay and I, (coughs) excuse me, Pastor Lindsay and I have been believing and and hoping for and, and trusting God for words that have been spoken over our lives and they haven't come to pass yet. We're doing everything we know. I like to think that we're good people. I like to think that we try really hard to be nice to everybody and and serve the Lord and fast and pray, and yet God still hasn't come through. So we're not alone, and neither are you. The story speaks so strongly to me. When I was studying and praying, I just felt comfort from, from the Word of God as I said, man, there are people in Scripture who can relate to where I am, doing everything we can but still haven't received and you got to understand for Zacharias and Elizabeth, th- this was the end of their lineage. This was the end of the line for them. If they don't have any children, these incredible bloodlines that have been passed all the way down, they stop right there. They end because they were well advanced. And yet, God wasn't through. So verse 8. In, in this part of Scripture, historians believe that there were approximately 20,000 priests in Israel at the time. 20,000 priests. Remember, it started with Aaron and his sons. <coughs> it started with Aaron and his sons uh, uh, with just a few. But over the, over the hundreds and, and, and hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of years, it had grown and expanded. And now there were over 20,000 priests that were ready to serve. But not that many priests can serve in the temple every day. So they had to come up with a solution. How do we determine who serves? So every day... They would draw lots. They would cast lots to see who would serve. And they would choose three names from the lots. And uh, it was whoever the Lord would appoint to serve that day. Three men would serve and, do, and take care of the sacrifices that day. And they would do the sacrifices and they would go into the holy place. Remember, there was the outer courts, the holy place, and the most holy place. Three parts uh, of the tabernacle or, or the temple. And so only the high priest could go in one time a year on the Day of Atonement to the most holy place. But these, the other priests that were chosen by the casting of lots would go into the holy place, into the inner courts, um, and they would serve before the Lord. So they would go in, two of them would go in and prepare everything, and then they would leave, and then one man would be chosen, it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, to burn the incense and to kneel and pray before the Lord and pray for the Messiah to return and for the nation of Israel. This was their job. This was an incredible opportunity because many, many priests never even got it in their entire life. And if you were chosen, you could only do it once in your entire life. It was literally a once in a lifetime opportunity and an honor and a privilege to be chosen. As the Lord would have it, on this day that we're reading about in verse 8, the Bible said that the, says that the lot fell uh, on Zacharias. So, so it was his turn to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. He goes in. 
So he goes in with his two counterparts, and they're doing their stuff, and they leave, and it's his turn to burn the incense. Incense. So he burns the incense. In, why can't I say that word? You'd think I've been preaching all day. So he kneels, and as he's kneeling down, and he's got his eyes closed, and his head bowed down low, and he's praying. And he is praying, Lord, touch Israel. Allow us to return to you. Uh, forgive our sins. Forgive us. And he's praying for the nation. And then he prays, Lord, we, we want your Messiah to come. The one we've been waiting for. The one that all the prophets have been looking forward to. That they have been speaking to. We've been praying for generations for the Messiah to come. And we're asking you now, God, to send the Messiah. And then, because it's you know a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, he's in an incredible place to be praying. He decides to throw in a prayer about praying for his son. Why, why not? Hey, listen, you got one chance to be in the holy place and be doing what you're doing. How many of you know you'd be praying for a kid too or whatever else you want? I'd be praying. Like, I'd, be, I'd go in there with a list. Okay, Lord, like, while I'm here. <laughs> I, I, so, so he prays. And suddenly he opens his eyes. And when he opens his eyes just to the right of the, of the table, there is an angel standing there. And, and watch what the Bible says. The angel of the Lord appeared standing on the right side of the altar of incense, uh, verse 12. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. The interpretation of that scripture is he had to go change his pants. I mean, think about it. Think about it. I mean, give the guy some slack. You have your eyes closed. You're the only one in here. You're praying. This has been done for generations. You open your eyes, and there's an angel standing there. Now, you've got to understand, biblical angels are not like sweet, little, cute, little, innocent babies. They're not women dressed in white. They are typically big men, uh, uh, strong men. They're Gabriel, Michael, names like this, swords, uh, uh, swords on their side and huge wings, white. They are imposing creatures. How do we know? this because every time an angel uh, presents himself the first thing you have to say he has to say is don't be afraid (laughs) if he didn't inspire fear in people he would never have to say don't be afraid you know but he does Zacharias is like Um, um, hey, how's it going? <laughs> Probably backing up a little bit. Like, you know, hey, is, uh, you know, you stay right there. I'm going to kind of back up. Let's get, you know, just personal space, you know, just, just let's create a little space right here. And, and, he, and, he's, and the angel says some incredible things to him. Look in verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. Your prayer is heard. Um, which prayer, angel? <clears throat> Which prayer? Because I've just been praying a lot. I've been going down my list of things. I've been praying. The angel says, oh, well, your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Your prayer is heard. Which prayer? The prayer for the child? A prayer for Messiah? A prayer for Israel? The angel says, all of them. Because what Zacharias did not understand is that both prayers were weaved together with the same answer. There, God couldn't give Zacharias a son because it wasn't time yet to send the Messiah. And so he couldn't send John until he was ready to send Jesus. 
So Zacharias has been thinking, there's something wrong with me. I've been trying to do everything right. What's the deal? I, I thought I was barren. Well, you may have been barren, but the truth is God just wasn't. He hadn't said that it was time yet. And now the angel says, I've heard your prayer and it's time. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You know, it has been my experience that when God starts answering one prayer, he answers several at once. It seems like out of the darkness, the pieces of the puzzle just seem to come together. And it all makes sense. Verse 14. Watch what he says about him. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. These are powerful verses. He's going to take the Nazarite vow. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We see this in, in, uh, in the next few verses. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will also be- go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. He's... He's speaking about this son. You're going to have a son. You're going to call him John. He's going to be great. And here's the kicker. Verse 17 said, And he will also go before him. Notice the him there is capitalized because he's speaking of Jesus. He says, He will go before him, the Messiah, the other one you've been praying for. You see, you see, Zacharias, you were praying for a son and you were praying for the Messiah. And they're both wrapped up in the same answer. And it's your son, John. Because Jesus couldn't come. Until John did. And John couldn't come until God was ready to send Jesus. It had to fulfill messianic prophecy from Isaiah, the 40th chapter, and Malachi, the 4th chapter. It had to happen. Zacharias, Elizabeth, you thought you were barren, but it just wasn't your time yet. For those of us, we've been trying to do everything right. We haven't done anything wrong. You haven't done anything wrong. You're not being punished. You're not insignificant or overlooked. But keep praying and believing and living upright and blameless. You're not barren. It's just not quite time yet. Your lot is coming up, though. Your turn is coming. And make sure that when your turn comes, you're where you're supposed to be doing what you are supposed to be doing. Jesus tells us, gives us a parable about the kingdom of God. He talks about uh, the ten virgins. And he's referring here to a principle where uh, in in Jewish culture, uh, you would be engaged. And then after your engagement, you would be betrothed for approximately one year. And somewhere in an unknown time, about the end of that one year, the bridegroom would come in search of the bride. And she had to be ready right then because they were about to be married. So the principle of the word of God and the kingdom of God is when God comes calling, make sure you're in the right place. Make sure your lamp hasn't run out of oil and you're in position to receive what God is bringing to you. So we keep praying, we keep believing, we keep doing what we can, knowing that God's going to show up at any time. But I, 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 I look at the response of Zacharias. How shall I know this? Verse 18. For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. He, he was wise enough not to call his wife old. I mean... <laughs> You know, he didn't know if the wife was listening or not. But, you know, the angel, he may go visit her. I can't, be afford, I can't afford to tell anybody that my wife is old. So he says, she's, I'm old. She's well advanced. How can I know this? Here's the thing. In the face of the moment he's been waiting for, in the face of the answer that he's been looking for for years, he has a moment of weakness and a lapse of faith. How do you have a lapse of faith when, faith when there is an angel standing before you? How do you when, when he says your prayer has been answered, 
Which one? All of them. They're all going to be answered. You're going to have a son. You're going to name him John. He's going to be awesome. How do you not have faith? Here's why. Because we have a tendency as humans, as men and women, to force God and everybody else on this planet to prove the positive while we believe without any evidence the negative. That's why scientists tell us it takes somewhere between six and nine, depending depending on who you read, statements, positive statements to overcome one negative statement. So if you as a parent say one negative thing to your child, uh, scientists tell us that it takes somewhere between six and nine positive statements to then prove to them that you mean it. Because we force people to prove the positive. Well, when you say something negative to me, I'll just take that. Oh, yeah, that's the truth. I'm barren. Well, yeah, I'm, been, I'm barren. I'm old. My wife, she's, you know... She's well advanced in years. The angel's saying, dude, am I not proof enough to you? I'm standing here, and I'm telling you, you're going to have a kid. No, 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 you're going to have to prove it to me. The angel says, well, I'll prove it to you. In verse 19, he says, I, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. I was sent to bring you this good news. I was sent. Here's what he's saying. Listen, I came from the presence of God. And I know that you and your wife are old and it doesn't seem to make sense and you don't know how it's going to work out. I understand that. I understand how the facts of humanity and the reality of of your natural body don't seem to make sense. You're too old to have a kid. I got that. I understand you. But here is what I am working on. I am working on the truth of the word of God. Because what this angel understood and what he's trying to explain to Zacharias is that God is not bound by facts. God is only bound by his own truth. And his truth says, it's time for you to have a kid. You're going to have a kid. And so here's what that says to us in our lives. Even though it may not look like time, it may look like it's too late and it could never happen. Even though the world says it will never happen, God is, is not bound by what the world says. He's only bound by the truth of his word. And if he says, you're going to have a kid at 100 years old, go buy a, a, a changing table and a, and a rocker because you're going to have a kid. And this is, this is challenging to Zacharias, but something comes with it because his momentary lapse of faith cost him. And immediately the angel touches him and he becomes mute and he is not allowed to speak. He can't speak a word. He's trying and he can't speak a word for nine months. So he goes home and, and, and Elizabeth gets pregnant. So I want you to get this. Get a picture of this with me now, okay? They're old. Old. Everybody knows they're old. Elizabeth is now pregnant. Now that's quite a sight. Okay? What if you saw somebody in their 70s, 80s, and they're walking down the street and they're pregnant? But, but here to make matters worse, the husband can't talk. The Bible says that Elizabeth hid herself for five months. I think I understand why. So for nine months, here we go. They're, they're pregnant. Uh, you, you can read in this chapter where Mary comes and visits Elizabeth. And when Mary walked in the door to tell them about the, the visitation that she had had from, from God, from the angel, and how there, that Jesus was in her belly, as soon as she walks in the door and she says, Hey, it's me, Mary, the Bible says that the baby leapt in Elizabeth's womb, and at that moment, John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit, according to Scripture. 
I mean, this, this is all happening in the course of nine months. So then we pick up in verse 57. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. So on the eighth day, she's had the baby, and they get together, and everybody's there to have a big party and a shower, and, and they circumcise the, the little guy, and, and then they're all getting, they're bringing her stuff, and they're celebrating, and it's a big party, and they're bringing her blankets, I'm sure, that had Zacharias sewn into them, and a pillow that had Zacharias sewn into it, and she says, wait, 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 I'm not sure that we're going to call him Zacharias, and they're like, oh yes, that's your, his father's name, we're going to name this kid, this boy, Zacharias, just because this is what we do. But Elizabeth answered, answered and said, No, he shall be called John. Now this is a good statement, but there is a subtle difference that we're going to see here. I want to show you between her statement and that of her husband. She says, No, he shall be called John. Read in the next verse. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. The principle was this. She was saying, Listen, after we get done with this debate, and, and I, we're, we're thinking we're going to go ahead and call him John. Like, I, and they say, well, listen, nobody in your family has been called John. They're all Zacharias and, and all these other guys. I think you should call him that. And they said, and she says, no, I think, that, I think that after we're done debating about this, we'll call him John. So they decide to go to Zacharias. Now remember, Zacharias hasn't spoken in nine months since he was talking to the angel. The last thing he said to the angel was, how could this be? So they made signs to his father what he, what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote this. His name is John. Remember, she said, he shall be called John. Zacharias said, no, 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 no. His name is John. It's been John for nine months. It's been John since the angel stood there and told me to call him John. And the last thing I said was, how can this be? His name was John then, and let me explain something to you. His name is John now. He got it right this time. He may have missed it the first time, but he got it right this time. There was no debating with him. It was over with, and it was done. He said, I heard it then, and I'm a believer now. His name is John. I love this in verse 64. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, praising God. The moment he wrote this statement of faith, his name is John, his mouth opens up and he didn't have to do that whole writing bit anymore, but he could speak and declare the works of the Lord. And he, and he then is filled with the Holy Spirit and he begins to prophesy. Long before Acts chapter 2 and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, before Jesus is ever born, right here the whole family, John is filled with the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and now the father Zacharias is filled with the Holy Spirit and they are all speaking and prophesying. What a moment it must have been don't stop having faith because you never know you see Zacharias had clearly already told and already spoken and said his name's going to be John he had already told Elizabeth we're going to need to call this baby John he'd already had statements of faith and, and he had already learned his lesson but this moment this time when he declared it in faith his mouth was open and a miracle happened 
Because you never know when the next prayer is going to be the one that breaks things open for you. You never know when the next time you go to the altar and join your hands with someone and ask uh, that, that your body would be healed. You never know when that's going to be the prayer. That's going to be the tipping point that puts you over the top and God comes through. You never know when the, the next time you pray for your lost loved one that, that that's the time when they are open to hearing the message of Jesus Christ. You never know. So don't stop praying. Don't stop having faith. Don't stop believing. His writing of those words released the miraculous. So he opens up his mouth and he's prophesying. You see, Zacharias mattered. He may seem insignificant if you're just reading over, but there is something important. Why was it such a big deal that Zacharias said his name is John and that's what opened up his mouth? Why was that the statement that mattered? Because there was something important in his name. Let's look then at what Zacharias' name meant and what John's name meant. Zacharias, his name means Jehovah has remembered or Jehovah remembers. Now, at first glance, this seems like an incredible thing. God remembers. Jehovah remembers. He hasn't forgotten us. He hasn't forgotten his covenant with us, with the people of Israel, that long after the the Romans are gone, the Jewish people will still be here because Jehovah has not forgotten. But the problem, the the same thing that is good about this statement is bad because Jehovah doesn't forget. He knows all of the laws of Moses and every time you break them. He knows every time we've failed and every time we've messed up, he remembers it all. And so Jehovah remembers is a reminder of the old covenant that Zacharias had lived his entire life under. That Jehovah remembered and he couldn't forget. Sure, their sins were pushed back for a year uh, with the atonement and all these things, but he couldn't forget. Because Jehovah remembered. This is a terrorizing moment. He remembers everything. If all that Jehovah did for you and me was remember, it could be scary. I don't know about you, but I have some things that I would like for Jehovah to forget. Lord, can you forget I said that? Can you forget that I did that? I didn't mean to. I was trying not to. I didn't know you then, Lord. I wasn't saved then. I wasn't married then. I wasn't in the house of God then. Can you forget about those things? For Zacharias, he lived with the reality every day. That Jehovah remembered and couldn't forget. So why did he have to name his son John? Because John's name means Jehovah is gracious. Because of who and what Jesus was going to be, God had to step in and say, Zacharias, listen, I know that you came from a long line of priests, and we respect that, but the name of your miracle son Who, by the way, according to Jesus, would be the greatest prophet to ever walk the earth? It has to be a different name. It has to be a different deal. You see, in the Jewish culture, one's name carries the connotation of what they are. Zacharias, your lineage is going to continue, but with a different name. Because the name you carry, Jehovah remembers, is indicative of an era that is coming to a close. Your name means Jehovah remembers, but the prophets all look forward to a different era, era a di- an era where Jehovah different, didn't remember. Let's read in Jeremiah 31. I'm coming to a close now. Verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. So he's pointing here. There's an old way, 
And then there's going to be a new way. I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, meaning everyone has access. In this new, in this new covenant, everybody's going to have access to them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and watch this, and their sin. I will remember no more. You see, John, it had to be John. It had to be the name because God was ushering in an age of grace. When through what he was going to do with his son Jesus on the cross, his blood could cover our sins and Jehovah would remember no more. Oh, Jehovah doesn't forget our promises. He doesn't forget his promises or his covenant to us. The only thing he forgets that he, that he won't remember anymore is our sin when it's covered under the blood. This is the goodness of God. Zacharias, I couldn't call him your son Jehovah remembers because the age of grace is here. And now Jehovah is going to be the Jehovah of grace. Do you know the grace of God in your life? He's made a way for you. This is the good news of the Christmas story that everything changed in this time. Everything changed. The old is being passed away and an age of grace is being entered in. Would you stand with me this morning as we close? speak two things to you first of all there are things in your life that you wish that Jehovah could forget he can because he's the God of grace we live in, a, in an age of grace because of his goodness and his mercy he sent his son on Christmas 2,000 years ago and then he died on a cross on what we now call Easter a good Friday and was resurrected on Easter Sunday what we, where we celebrate now and because of that our sins can be covered in the blood and here's the thing about the blood of Jesus when your sins are covered in the blood of Jesus God doesn't just choose not to remember them he cannot remember them he cannot see them because for him, it, he doesn't just pardon us. He justifies us. He makes it as if we never did it. As we enter in this Christmas season, you've got things in your life that you'd like for God to forget. Just give it to him. Say, Jesus, forgive me. Cover me with your blood. Wash me white as snow. The song that our choir sang this morning, it's going to be a white, white Christmas. Because of what Jesus did for us. Second thing I want to speak to you today is if you are like me and you've been doing everything you know to do, you've been trying, you've been believing, you've been praying, you've been standing, you've been working, you've been faithful, you've been worshiping, you've been serving, you've been doing all that you know to do, and yet you're still waiting. 
You're still waiting. You need God to come through for you. You need him to answer a prayer. You need him to do what he said he would do. You need him to be God for you. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? I'm, I'm joining with you because I'm, I'm speaking to myself today. As I was preparing this message, this story just jumped out at me. I'm believing for people who are waiting on an answer to come through. All right, I want to pray for you. And here's, here's the word I have for you today. Your lot is coming up. God is calling things into motion. And, and I believe that between now and the end of the year, the month of December is going to be a season of answered prayers for you. I am declaring in your life the things you've been believing for are going to begin to come to pass. The prayers you've been asking of God, He's going to begin to answer. The picture It's like the light is going to go on and suddenly it's all going to make sense. He's pulling things together. You thought you were barren. You are not barren. You are not being punished. You are not doing anything wrong. It just hasn't been your time yet, but now is your time. 